Oh, I love that video. And I wonder, you know, what are you thankful for? As we begin this week of Thanksgiving leading up to the celebration on Thursday, uh, let's talk today together about this whole idea of giving thanks. I have one verse I want to start with. It's found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and it is verse 18. The Apostle Paul writes and says, In everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. That's so short. Let me read it again. In everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Now, my guess is that some of you think that is absolutely crazy. And I can understand why you might feel that way. About three weeks ago, I was uh, stricken with a violet kidney stone attack. It was a Sunday afternoon. I had preached uh, twice on Sunday morning. It had been a great Sunday. And that afternoon, we were planning to have a birthday party for me at four o'clock. My birthday was the day before, and we couldn't celebrate then, so the family was going to come together at four. Deb had the house decorated. There were festive balloons and special napkins and plates. It was awesome, but a kidney stone preempted everything, all right? And so I found myself spending the night at St. Peter's Hospital, extremely uncomfortable with no sleep. And the next day, there was a procedure to remove not only that stone, but another stone as well. So question, how are you supposed to give thanks in that? I mean, to many people, to do so would seem utterly ridiculous. But the truth is, many of you are facing situations that are far more painful, really, than a kidney stone, and they are ongoing. Some of you have intense marital difficulties, and you wonder what the future is for your relationship. Some of you have relational strife with friends or coworkers, and it just goes on and on. How can you possibly give thanks in that? Why would the Bible say such a thing? How can you thank God even when you don't feel good or it seems that life just isn't going all that well? Hans Selye is the pioneer of stress studies. If you look up his name, Hans Selye is considered sort of the father of the studies on stress. And because of his pioneering work, many others have followed him. But Selye concluded that the healthiest of all human emotions is gratitude. Gratitude. In fact, he's the one. You've heard that phrase, attitude of gratitude? Well, Hans Selye is the first one to coin that phrase. And he concluded, based on extensive research over many years, that people who have an attitude of gratitude are the most emotionally stable people. They're the easiest to be around, the easiest to work with, the calmest people. They're at peace with themselves and others. And that just sort of resonates with reality, doesn't it? G.K. Chesterton once said, gratitude is the mother of all virtues. And I think it's, it's absolutely true. So I'm gonna talk to you today about this whole 
idea of being thankful in all things. Not because Hans Selye said it was important, not because G.K. Chesterton extolled it, but because the Bible commends gratitude. And I think that all of us who are followers of Jesus need to think about what it means to kind of cultivate, and you do need to cultivate it, an attitude of gratitude no matter what you're going through. So let's dive in by, first of all, talking about giving thanks when it is easy, because sometimes it is pretty easy to give thanks. The psalmist wrote in Psalm 100, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise, give thanks to him and praise his name. It's just true. There are times in life when it's just easy to give thanks. Now, we have people from dozens, literally dozens of different countries that click on our website and listen to our services and our sermons. And we're grateful for all of them and hope that grace will continue to be a blessing. But for all of you who are, uh, the United States is not your country, you need to know that in America here, we have this holiday that Abraham Lincoln instituted back in the 1860s, and it's called Thanksgiving. We commemorate it every November in our country. But before it was made a national holiday, the idea of giving thanks to God really started on this soil back in 1621. You see, the pilgrims had come here in 1620, in November, and their first year here was brutal. In fact, 50% of them died during that first year. But after the first successful harvest in 1621 in November, just over a year after their arrival, they decided to pause and give thanks to Almighty God because they believed that not only had God given them a bountiful harvest, but they believed that providence had guided them here to this new land, and they were so thankful for that. And it is entirely biblical to give thanks when God has given you a bountiful harvest. Look at what God said in the book of Deuteronomy to his old covenant people. He said, for seven days, celebrate the feast to the Lord your God at the place the Lord will choose. And catch this part. For the Lord your God will bless you in all your harvest and in all the work of your hands and your joy will be complete. And I believe I'm talking to a lot of people today where God has blessed you in the work of your hands. Many of us have more material blessings than our parents had. I know that's true of me. My mom and dad, materially speaking, had very little, and I've been so much blessed beyond what they ever experienced. But you see, here's the problem. If we're not careful we can begin to take those blessings for granted, can't we? Like they are owed to us or something. Like God really owes us. But that's just not true. Every good gift is from his hand. The Reverend Dr. Warren Watts wrote a short little article years ago, which has been reprinted and tweeted and thrown out on social media over and over again in all kinds of, of mediums. And I want to read it to you, just a portion of that article. Dr. Watts wrote, if you woke up this morning with more health than illness, 
You're more blessed than the million people who won't survive this week. If you've never experienced the danger of battle, the loneliness of imprisonment, the agony of torture, or the pangs of starvation, hey, you're ahead of the 20 million people around the world. If you can attend a church meeting, that is some kind of worship service, uh, without fear of harassment, arrest, torture, or death, you're more blessed than almost 3 billion people in the world. If you have food in your refrigerator, clothes on your back, a roof over your head, and a place to sleep, you are richer than 75% of the people of this world. He goes on. If you have money in the bank, in your wallet, and spare change in a dish someplace, most of us have a dish like that, don't we, where we throw our change in it, he says, you are among the top 8% of the world's wealthy. If you held up your head with a smile on your face and are truly thankful, you are blessed because the majority can, but most do not. And then he concludes it with, I love this last line. If you can read this article, you're more blessed than over 2 billion people in the world that cannot read anything at all. And so what I'm saying is that you know, sometimes it's just easy to give thanks, but we've got to be careful not to take these blessings for granted. The Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7, he said, for who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? Think about some of the blessings that you enjoy. I mean, I enjoy sight today. Guess what? That's a gift from God. Not everyone can see. I enjoy the ability to hear. Not everyone has that ability. I can listen to glorious music. It's a gift from God to be able to do that. I have plenty of food to eat. My pantry is bulging with food, but not everyone has that blessing. There are people all around the world, millions and millions of it, and many right here in the capital region who have food insecurity. They don't know where their next meal is coming from. I have the ability to read and write. I've got, I've got thousands of books in my library that I can crack open and read and learn and enjoy. And there are many people around the world who don't have the ability to read at all. Folks, what I'm saying is that if your story is like my story, you ought to be jumping up and down with gratitude to God because he has been so good to you. I, I wanna see a show of hands right now. I wonder how many of you, on November the 8th, there was a special thing in the skies. It's called a blood moon. I wonder how many of you saw the blood moon. Can I see your hand, please? Raise your hand up. All right, that's quite a few of you. Debbie and I read about that blood moon coming. It's a total lunar eclipse, which makes the moon appear really kind of reddish. They call, call it a blood moon. And so we heard that where we were, it was going to be most brilliant at about 3.59 a.m., okay? So we set our alarms for 3.45, all right? We get up, we wipe the sleep out of our eyes, go outside, and wow, it was worth it. That moon was spectacular. We took pictures of it. We gazed at it. We enjoyed that incredible sight. But I thought while we were out there, I saw all these other stars. 
I saw these stars around and all these constellations, and it was, it was just so brilliant. And I thought, wow, why don't we come out here more often? You know why we don't? Because those stars are there every night. And because they're there every night, we just kind of take them for granted. It's just one of those things we just kind of overlook. You know what I've learned as a pastor? I've learned to watch people who give thanks for little things, little things. Because I've observed that those who are grateful for the little things are much more likely to be grateful in everything. So I urge you, whatever else you do this week, this week of Thanksgiving, pause at some moment to count your blessings. I grew up in a church where we sang a lot of hymns, and I can still quote dozens of those from memory. You know, it's not sermons that you remember. You do know that, right? It's songs that you remember. And so this is one of the songs that I really enjoyed. The words go, when upon life's billows you are tempest-tossed, when you are discouraged, thinking all is lost, count your many blessings, name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord has done. And in the chorus, count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your blessings, see what God has done. Count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your many blessings, see what God has done. You know that song? Woo! I know, I, I know you're applauding the skill, the, the musical skill, the vocal quality, but you ought to be applauding the lyrics because that is good theology. I hope you'll do that this week, count your blessings. But let's turn a corner because there's a lot more to be said about this idea of gratitude than just giving thanks when it's easy. What about giving thanks when it is actually difficult? Ah, now here's where the rubber hits the road, right? Here's where most of you are living today, right? See, the Apostle Paul, when he was in prison, talked about thanksgiving. In Philippians chapter four, he wrote these words. He said, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Paul's in prison writing that stuff. I'm sure he had lots of anxieties, but he baptized his anxieties with gratitude. Now, let's get really personal here for a moment. Don't blurt out your answers, please. Keep them to yourself. But what is causing you anxiety today? You say, is Paul nuts? Don't be anxious about anything. I'm single, pastor. And that was easy when I was 19. It was still easy when I was 28. But as I get older, it becomes a little more difficult for me to embrace my singleness. I I'm not sure I want this for the rest of my life. I'm anxious about this. Don't be anxious about anything. Are you kidding? Have you looked at the economy lately, pastor? We're in the midst of a horrible recession. And I just lost my job, and I don't know if I can pay the mortgage. I'm afraid the bank is going to foreclose. 
Don't be anxious about anything. I've got a spouse and kids to provide for. How can I not be worried? Have you looked at where our culture is going lately, pastor? And then I have people in my life that are so mean-spirited. How can I not be bothered by that? How can I not be anxious about what they're up to? They seem to not, not only do they not care, they seem to go out of their way to try to annoy me. How can I not? Be anxious. And pastor, have you met my relatives? I dread Thanksgiving this week. I dread it. Oh, I dread it because it always ends up in conflict. Now let's go back to that little verse we started with because I, I think it's important that we read it carefully and don't assume things that are not there. Notice it does not say thank God for everything. Did you notice that? It doesn't say that. That's bad theology, to thank God for everything. It says, in, in everything. Big difference between in and for. Paul's not saying we should thank God for the annoying people, but we can thank God in the midst of these annoying people because we know that God is working in the midst of this. We don't thank God for the anxieties, but we thank God that he's bigger than the anxieties. Amen? Amen. We don't thank God for the fears that we're experiencing, but we thank God that he is bigger than our fears. We don't thank God for these ongoing situations that bother us, but we thank God that his unfailing love and faithfulness is more persistent than these struggles are. I hope you get the idea. Get the big idea, big, big difference between thanking God for everything and thanking God in everything. Now, how do you really know in your life that you're trusting God? This is an important question because the Christian life, the life of a disciple is all about learning progressively to trust God with everything in your life. But how would you know that you're growing in that? I, I wanna give you a suggestion that one of the big indicators that you're really making progress in your life of discipleship with the Lord Jesus is when you can actually start thanking God in the midst of difficult situations, whatever they are. Brendan Manning wrote a book years ago called Ruthless Trust. He wrote a lot of books. But in this one, he presents a scenario. He says, look, let's say that I interview 10 people and I ask them, do you trust God? And every one of the 10 says, yes, I trust God. Every one of them answered yes. But suppose that nine out of the 10 don't actually trust God. And Brennan Manning asked, how would I know, how would I know who's telling the truth? And then he suggests, I'll tell you how I would know. If I could somehow video their lives for a month and just follow them around like a candid camera, and I could look at those videos, here's how I would know who's really trusting God. The person with an abiding spirit of thankfulness is the one who really trusts God. And then he says, the foremost quality of a trusting disciple 
is gratitude. And I think he's actually right about that. Probably the most popular psalm in all of God's word, if we did a survey, I'll bet the favorite psalm would be Psalm 23. But I want you to notice something really interesting about that. And you think about that this week as you're preparing for the feast, okay? It says, you prepare a table before me. That sounds like a feast, doesn't it? Table prepared. You're going to sit down, some of you, at a table prepared. But then it says, in the presence of my enemies. That sounds like a fight, doesn't it? you got enemies around. It's like a table, a feast in the presence of enemies. How could you actually get to the point in your walk with Christ where you're enjoying the feast in the midst of the fight? I would suggest to you that that's a little microcosm of life right there because there's always a fight. There's always some kind of challenge. There's always some kind of struggle or tension. There's always something that is grating against us, making us a bit uncomfortable. So how do we enjoy, how do we enjoy the feast that God says, I want to prepare before you, even when we're in the midst of the fight? I think the way we do that is we've got to ask, is the Lord really my shepherd? Am I really trusting him as my shepherd? Am I really bringing my anxieties to him? When we learn to turn our anxieties into thanksgiving, he will replace them with a peace that passes all understanding. We learn to cast our anxiety on him, knowing that he really cares for us. Now, I, I, oh, oh, I realize what's happening right now in some of you. I know, I know exactly what you're... I, this is pious platitudes from a preacher on a platform. <laughs> pious platitudes from a preacher on a platform. Heard it all before, preacher. Heard it all before. That don't work for me. I want to be gentle. I want to be kind. But I've concluded after many years of being a pastor that a lot of people dismiss things early without really giving them a good road test. See, most of the competencies that come for the disciple of Jesus don't happen immediately. They require lots of effort on it. God is not opposed to effort. Grace is not opposed to effort. Grace is opposed to earning. Effort is an action. Earning is an attitude. We're not earning this but we do act in cooperation with God and he gives us these competencies over time. Christianity is not a spectator sport. Some of you need to hear that. It's not a spectator sport. It's not something you just kind of show up at a service or click on an online thing and think, hey, I'm gonna get it by osmosis. It doesn't work that way. It's not a spectator sport. So I ask you, have you honestly repeatedly come back and engage with God and learn to cast your anxieties upon him, knowing that he cares for you? Or did you just give it a quick, quick try once and then gave up on it? I can point you to many, many disciples who are learning that God really does take the things that we entrust to him. He 
takes those anxieties and he replaces them with a great deal of peace and he gives us thanksgiving that flows from our very heart. I ask you to try that this week. But as we go down home stretch today, we've talked about things that are easy to thank God for. We, we've talked about giving thanks even when things are difficult, but now I wanna really go insane with you, okay? Just go with me here. Let's talk for a little bit about giving thanks when it seems impossible. I'm talking about when if people saw you giving thanks in the midst of this, they might try to put a straitjacket on you. They might think you're a candidate, you know, for, for a psychiatric ward, honestly, at first. We keep it real at Grace Fellowship. We don't live in la-la land around him here, and we don't encourage anyone to do that. Because the truth is, folks, can we just get real? The truth is, sometimes life is beyond your human ability to bear. And the truth is, some of you are in that place today. You've been wounded so deeply by family members that you're literally putting one foot in front of the other just to get through the day. Not only, not only has your week been hard, <laughs> many people listening right now, your year has been hard. It's just been filled with disappointments and awful challenges and difficulties. And you go, Pastor Rex, giving thanks in everything that, bro, let me tell you, bro, I just think this is impossible. I hear you. I hear you. But again, I want to come back to this because the competencies in the Christian life that the Lord gives us by his grace don't come with a snap of a finger. They come through effort as we cooperate, as you've heard me say dozens of times, as we cooperate with the grace of God in our lives. And then over time, we learn that competency. We learn it by his grace. And so Jesus is our model here for thanksgiving. Look at what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks. Now, think about this. In the darkest hour of his life, he's giving thanks. Remember the context. He knew that within 24 hours, he would be on a cross, one of the most agonizing, torturous deaths ever invented by depraved humanity. He knew that one of his 12 disciples had already betrayed him for 30 pieces of silver. He knew that every one of his disciples, whom he had poured his life and training into for a three-year period, he knew that every one of them, before the night was over, would betray him and run for their lives. Whew, so much for loyalty so much for courage. And in that context, in that context, he took bread and said, this is my body, which is given for you. And he, and he gave thanks. How? How could he do that in that seemingly impossible situation? One reason. He was fully trusting his life to the purposes of the Father. In that great suffering servant passage in Isaiah 53 that Jesus knew by heart, 
it says there that after the suffering of his soul, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. Jesus knew that, and he endured all the agony of sweating drops of blood in Gethsemane. He endured the mocking and the beating. He endured the crucifixion, giving thanks in and through it all. How? Because he was entrusting his very life with the deep conviction that the Father's purposes were being worked out in a wonderful way. Wow. Can you do that? Can I do that? You will face some moments in your life when it seems impossible to give thanks. I I was lying there in the bed at St. Peter's three weeks ago and writhing in pain, and I knew that in a matter of weeks, I was going to be preaching this sermon on Thanksgiving. And boy, I tell you, as a preacher, you just don't want to be a hypocrite, do you? So I thought, can, whoa, whoa, this is too real. Can I really give, not four, not four a kidney stone. No, no, that's insane. Can I really give thanks in the midst of this? And as God is my witness, I gave thanks. I said, God, I don't like this. This is horrible. But if you can use this to get my focus on you, if you can use this to grow me and deepen my trust in you, if you can use this in any way, and I know you will, to further my walk with you, I give you thanks. There are gonna be times in your life where you say, I just, I just, I, I don't know if I can do this. Times when you're so deeply broken and disappointed, and I don't say this glibly, but if you can truly look to the Father and say, I trust you, I trust your purposes in this, that you're working for my good and your glory, then and only then, I believe, can we give thanks. There's a little line from the Apostle Paul that I absolutely love, and I think a lot of our answer on Thanksgiving is found here. It's in 2 Timothy chapter 1. The Apostle writes, I know whom I have believed and am convinced that he is able to guard what I've entrusted to him for that day. What what day is he talking? He's talking about the judgment day here. That's what the day means. Talking about judgment day, when God brings all things to completion and, and culmination, when the story is fully known. And it says that all the things I've entrusted to him, he's gonna guard, he's gonna keep them until that day. So the question is, what have I entrusted to him? Have you entrusted your finances to him or are you still in charge of those? Or have you trusted them? Have you entrusted your marriage to him with all of its complexity? Are you still trying to run the show? Or have you entrusted your singleness to him? Have you entrusted your work situation to him? Whatever we've entrusted to him, He says, I will guard it. I will keep it. I could go on and on with situations, but please don't miss the point. God is trustworthy. And anything that we entrust to him, like the apostle says, 
He's going to keep it. He's going to guard it. So I want to, as we close today, go back full circle to the verse with which we started. It's 1 Thessalonians 5.18, and everything God, give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. No more healthy emotion than gratitude. So I've got a little challenge for you as we close. I urge you this week to take out a piece of paper or take out your tablet, however you can take some notes, and I urge you to make three lists. One, list number one, just write down, oh, this will be so easy. Write down a list of a bunch of the things that you're really thankful for. It's easy to be thankful for those things. Oh my goodness, you will fly through that list. I'll bet you can fill up a page or two in no time with things where it's just easy to be thankful in that. But th then I urge you to make a second list. It won't be as long. But make a list of some things where, you know, wow, it's difficult for me to be thankful in this. But I'm going to take God at his word and I'm going to be thankful even in the midst of this because I'm entrusting myself to a great God who's got a great design for my life. And then for the really courageous ones, I have a final list. Number three, I dare you to make a list of things where it seems virtually impossible for you to give thanks in the midst of that. It's probably gonna be pretty short. But if you will do this exercise, I'll bet this will be the best Thanksgiving you've ever had. Because gratitude is indeed the mother of all virtues. Father, thank you. Thank you that you've designed us to be a people who give gratitude and thanksgiving to you, our Lord. Oh, we've got so many reasons to. And I pray today for those that are struggling in deep turmoil and situations they feel are impossible, that somehow you would Give them the grace today to see that you're at work even in the midst of that. Just like the apostle, they'd be able to cast their anxieties on you knowing that you care for them. Thank you for the ways you teach us and grow us and sustain us. And may this week of thanksgiving be truly that, an incredible week of gratitude with hearts that are brimming over with thankfulness to you. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.